Hi and welcome to Progressive Belabber, a group of lifelong friends and appreciators of music discussing the greatest progressive rock bands album by album. I'm Joe Beauclair and on this special concert series edition of Progressive Belabber, I'm joined by my very good friend Ken Gregory and first time friend of the Palaver, Ken Fuller. Ken, thank you so much for joining us. Tonight, Hi, good evening. <laughs> this episode we are going to discuss the musical box. All right, so guys, I, I'm I'm very excited to uh, to talk about this show that you guys saw. You know, here at the Palaver, we've we've been preparing for quite some time at this point for doing our Genesis segment. There has been a lot of listening to Genesis, a lot of considering Genesis, a lot of talking about Genesis, and I know Ken. I think Ken Gregory, you have seen a couple of. Genesis tributes, I think, in this time. Is that correct? You'll have to refer to me as Kenny G, and that's Kenny completely G. appropriate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've never had to I've never had to differentiate two Kens before. So Kenny G and Ken, it's just so everyone knows. Um, but but you've seen a couple already, right? Uh, no, uh, oh. this was my first experience with the musical box. I'm glad it was the extravaganza. And uh, prior to this, I had seen the Genesis show. Okay, yeah. So, you know, I... and. Let me just read the, uh, the intro on the, the Musical Box wiki page to get us started here. The Musical Box are a French-Canadian tribute band formed in Montreal, Quebec in 1993 who recreate performances by the English rock band Genesis during the 1970s. The current lineup is formed of singer and performer Denis Gagné, guitarist Francois Gagnon, bassist Sébastien Lamoth, keyboardist Ian Benamou, and drummer Bob St. Laurent. This whole idea of these tribute bands seems to be coming like all the rage these days. I get emails from, you know, the local promotion companies, you know, every week, every two weeks. And, you know, it more and more I find things like, you know, the Australian Pink Floyd tribute band and, and you know, well, I forget what the Led Zeppelin one is, and and you know, smattered in amongst you know what I would call quote unquote real bands. You, I've been seeing a lot more of these tribute type deals. There's a there's a fairly lively local music scene here around where I live, and um, the one town over has several bands that have you know like cover bands who rotate through all the time, you know, and and it's just like it, it's it's like what what Paul does or, or what surface tension used to do back in the day. And, and I, I guess that's what I was thinking, just maybe on a, a slightly larger scale. I had no idea that the musical box had a been around since 1993 and reading, you know, their, their wiki page, as well as reading about the extravaganza. Um, I mean, these guys are, they're dedicated to not just playing the music, yeah, it's it's almost. I guess the closest thing that I've ever come across were the you know the the Beatle tribute bands back in the day, right? And there there still are a couple running around now where they they sort of do the whole thing. But I mean, reading about these guys getting access to the farm so they can isolate individual tracks on the lamb and figure it out. I mean, I was 
I was totally blown away. And um, when I went to the webpage and read about the extravaganza, and I'm glad that's what you guys saw, right? Because so it's it's a three act performance where they start out with um, essentially four man Genesis, and then they do the Lamb in Act Two, and then they do the really early stuff in Act Three. So at this point, I am just out of my mind on the edge of my seat waiting to hear what you guys saw. (laughs) (laughs) Good. It was really good. Well, these guys are not a – I mean, they've done world tours and uh, everything. I mean, I was lucky enough to see them uh, do – copy the Genesis Black Show, which is the one where they have the – uh, the black lighting, the kind of purple oh, right. yeah, 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 lighting, yeah. and, and, and uh, they just reproduced the whole show, even down to the guy that plays Peter Gabriel doing the actions that Peter Gabriel did. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, they also did the, the Lamb show, where I th- believe I'm right in saying that they actually got the rights to use the slides uh, as the backing that Genesis U- actually used uh, when they did the Lamb. Uh, I didn't see that one. But this one that Ken and I saw was was a bit different than that because they weren't trying to reproduce a gig from the past. They they kind of really mixed it up, uh, did some medleys that I don't think Genesis had ever done things like that, uh, right. the, those sort of medleys. So it was, it was a, a different show. It was a bit more relaxed. Uh, things were out of order the, the, when they did The Lamb. They they weren't in the, the order of the album. Really? So it was, Yeah, so it, it, it was different from uh, what they had done in the past, but very, very effective, and I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Very tasteful. They, they build a nice arc with the tension in this particular show. And, I mean, you can see why I counted uh, 15 shows before they got to the Keswick. They booked two sequential nights at the Keswick, and then proceeded to do three or four more shows. So the, the tour was something around 21 shows through Canada and the northeastern U.S., and they had it down pat. Well, I, I mean, I can imagine these guys have been doing this for some time. Now, and, it, and again, it's not, it's not just playing the songs, but it's sort of inhabiting or recreating what Genesis did back in the day. Is that... I mean, do they still they still do that, or do they lighten up? I think on that it was. Le- I think it was less so with this one. When when they did the uh, the black show, it was identical. And uh, did they sit down? Yes. Oh, yes. Uh, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. And yeah. even the way that Gabriel in those days used to like play the uh, tambourine, and it was very staccato. Right. Yeah. And mm-hmm. oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna say this. I'm old enough to have been lucky enough to have seen. Genesis do that stuff for myself. Sure. Uh, And, and, you know, it was, so they did reproduce it then. This show was not like that. It was much more relaxed. He wasn't trying to look like Peter Gabriel, the singer. Uh, Sound like him, but not look like him. And that was was a bit different. And I believe, actually, we saw a different drummer, Ken, to the one that's listed on uh, uh, the wiki. I'm glad you got to that. Um, the one-man Genesis is, is, is quite amazing. I, I need to look up his given name. But uh, apparently, he was 12 years old when his dad took him to see the musical box, something in, in that range. Yeah, so th- th- there was some stage banter where it came up that there was an age difference between the drummer and the rest of his cohorts. Really? 
Yeah. <laughs> but he was awesome. I mean, absolutely fantastic. The drum fills were all, all there in the right places. I mean, you must have listened, or I certainly listened to like Genesis Live, that first live oh, album, yeah. so many times that I know exactly where it goes and I even do it differently when I hear the studio version. <laughs> well, he, he had that stuff. He knew that it was very, very good. That's amazing. We had, um, yeah, we had we had a great little discussion. I guess when we were, you know, when we were doing that part of the the catalog, and we were discussing the influence of Phil and, and Steve on the band, and we pointed to some of the tracks from Trespass that are on Genesis Live, and how much more powerful they are um, in with that lineup. But uh, yeah, that that's really cool. So the 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 quote unquote normal drummer for the musical box was not available. And so they had this guy in on a, on a, on a substitute basis or, or is. Yeah. Dennis said that the, the funny thing about Antoine Barrill, otherwise known as one man Genesis is that he played the drum parts note for note, but did not sing. So, really? <laughs> and, and he's capable of doing all of the keys, all of the bass, the guitars, 12 string, any instrument, but apparently he does not lend his voice to any of his uh, uh, one-man efforts, whether it's Genesis, Rush, or... Uh, really? Else. Yeah, so um, <laughs> he, he's very deliberate. I, I, I'm so jealous of the execution in his muscles and in his uh, rhythm. He, he, he's just a fantastic drummer with, 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 with a very good enthusiasm. And it's like, you know, the longer the concert went, Kind of the more enthusiastic he got, he's he's got he's got a really good spirit. Fantastic. But they're all they're all very talented. Um, there's the guy playing the bass with the double neck bass, and mm -hmm. uh, or sometimes the three of them sitting down playing twelve string, just like Genesis did in, back in the day, and and then they'll switch. Uh, the keyboard player will turn around just like Tony Banks did and switch to keyboards. It, they're, 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 in of themselves, they're very talented, uh, and they're just having to be copying some stuff, other stuff that we we all love to listen to. So, uh, you know, Ian Benamu, the keyboard player, came on board in 2018, which wow. amazed me when I read that because he seemed completely integrated with with Dennis, and and he he uh, lended a lot of vocals. So my thought would be that. Um, Bob St. Laurent maybe does more of a Bill Collins impersonation with the combination of drums and singing. So once once they brought in Antoine on drums, then Ian had to really step up. But uh, the other guys had mics as well. It, it seemed to be like, you know, three guys together kind of covered the Phil Collins role. Cool. Do you guys remember what day you actually saw the, the show? It was the Saturday. Saturday, uh, yeah, uh, yeah. Saturday. I'm I'm just pulling up the the set list to give myself something to uh, talk about. So that would be the 23rd. Oh, it's absolutely wonderful. Yeah, I'm I'm unraveling my uh, ticket stub right here and putting okay. it up to the camera. Yeah. <laughs> Very good. Yeah. So this this will give us. Uh, it's upside down, but I get it. Um, <laughs> Mine was on my phone, so I can't show you any. <laughs> <laughs> Modern technology for you. Well, and, and, and it's interesting with these tribute bands, right? Because, you know, this is, this is the way that you get to experience this music live. Because 
you know, we, we've all we've all seen various manifestations of this, where either you know, sadly, members pass away, or there's a falling out, and you know, we we've all gone to see you know bands where there's one or two people from the original, and you know, everyone else is someone different at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it was, I think it was Rick Wakeman who had, who had said back in the uh, the Yes Years interview when that came out in the early '90s that you know he could envision you know a yes into the future in the same way that there's you know a london symphony orchestra or whatever because the music is there and you find the appropriate people to to play it so you know i i I, i'm totally on board with this idea of you know if as long as you have the right approach and are able to sort of recreate that music live to where you can evoke that sort of emotional response because that's why we want live music right we want that that sort of emotional high that that communal whatever you know that that you get from that situation um you know i mean how many times have you gone have you gone to a show and you've been like oh god that was great and then like you hear a recording of it and you're like "Woo, that was a little rough but but <laughs> You know, at the time, you have you have no idea because you're you're experiencing other inputs at that point. So, well, that's a good segue to Wembley. Ken, you had a story about seeing Genesis at Wembley. Oh, when I saw them do the Lamb, oh my gosh, yes. So, you know, everybody's you tell you know some folks that they go, wow, you know that you, you saw that. I can remember I was saying to Ken that I was at the time disappointed. It was all about the the visuals, the screens, the Gabriel costumes. We've all seen the, oh, the, sure. cost, the, the different costumes, and, and I think it's well known that at some points the band got a bit fed up with him because they couldn't hear him sing because he couldn't get to the microphone because of the costume was in the way and stuff like that. Um, but they reproduced the album so well that I kind of came away thinking, well, I could have listened to that at home. <laughs> Can you imagine, Joe, from our perspective? But, like, 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 we would so pay like five hundred dollars pers- to see the original Lamb, but well, you know, know, so that's I, the perspective I had at the time. So right? I, I, <laughs> I totally get it, though. I, I can remember, and it's not. Don't get me wrong. What I'm about to relate is not at all on the same level in any way, shape, or form. But it does illustrate the point to a certain degree. So when I was, I don't know, sixteen, seventeen, something like that. Um, somehow my oldest brother, for some reason, agreed to take me to a Boston show and it was after third stage and they came onto stage and they played a couple of songs from the first two albums and then they played third stage front to back, boom. And then they played a couple of songs from the first two albums. And I'm like, I was like, you, I'm like, all right, I could have stayed home and listened to this. I was, I was totally just... I was underwhelmed to say the least. And and then we had in 2007, Paul, Ken and I had the opportunity to go to a Marillion weekend in Holland. Oh. And they were doing, I believe it was dot com that year, Ken? Or no, it was this strange engine. 
That was the. Well, I didn't go, but that was that was. Tom. Oh, I'm sorry. It was Tom. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah it was Why don't I just always imagine you were there? Um, so, so Paul, Tom, and I went, and they did. You know, one of the nights they always do a, a, an album, and they did um, this strange engine, and and that was different because I wasn't as familiar with it. And there's just something magical about a Merlian weekend that I was like, okay, I kind of get this. And I've had the opportunity to see. I think I saw two of the Yes tours where they were doing. Or two or three of the yes tours where they're doing mm -hmm. full albums sometimes that worked sometimes it didn't um but the all-time greatest concert experience i've ever had was montreal in i believe it was 2013 when marillion did brave and it just oh. melted my brain right out of my mm -hmm. body so you know <laughs> I, I i get it and and so uh, before we get back into this, and, and we're kind of going all over the place, but, but Ken, you're, you're a wealth of knowledge. <laughs> we, we, we here at the Palaver have had, uh, I'm not going to, it might be a difficult time dealing with The Lamb Lies Down on Broadway. What was your reaction sort of in real time? You know, did you, did you like The Lamb? Were you excited to see The Lamb? It wasn't instantly accessible by any means. And I think at first, although it was a bit surprised, shocked almost like, like what is this? Uh, it, it, it's very different from what came before. And, and one of the things I've often thought, I'm going to digress slightly for a minute with, with listening to your podcasts and, and, and some others is you, you've kind of, jumped into a band in the heard a band in the middle of their career and then worked backwards which gives a different perspective to i think hearing them as they came out right say, okay this one follows that one so sometimes uh, i have a different view on albums the lamb took me a long time to get into when i went to see it like i said it, i had to go and see genesis i'd seen them a number of times before that i was disappointed they only did they did the musical box and the knife, I think, as encores. And for me, those were the best bits of the night. Yeah. And, I, and I thought, <laughs> oh, no, you know, I'm just going to I'm going to say I paid a lot of money, but uh, uh, Ken's seen the ticket and he knows I in retrospect, I probably didn't pay a lot of money. It was one pound 50, I think. <laughs> <laughs> but, but at the time, it was a lot of money. I bet. I believe uh, it. Yeah. <laughs> and but lots of listenings. Um, I still think I prefer sides one and two, and I think it starts to fade out in side, uh, side three, and then four is uh, it now? It's for me, it's gone on a bit too long, even today. Sure, um, yeah. but yeah. but um, it, it was very jarring at the time. It was just so different, so different. I I totally believe it. So so thank you for for that perspective because you know we're always. I'm always curious, like you said, what what that's like in real time. Because again, even Marillion's Brave, you know, we we've joked that it took the audience 20 years to figure that out before we could have that that 2013 experience. Um, so cool, excellent. So back to uh, to the musical box. I'm looking at the set list here for Act One, The Wind's Tale. This is an interesting, interesting little set. And I I'm fascinated to see, like, did they do intermissions between these acts or? Between two and three. Just mm -hmm. between two and three. Okay. Yep. Yes. 
because here, here's the interesting thing that I'm looking at this, and I see this, they open up with a presumably a bombastic medley of In That Quiet Earth, Robbery, Assault, and Battery, and What Gorilla, um, going into Blood on the Rooftops, Dance on the Volcano, and Entangled, which, I mean, that's a pretty crackerjack way to start a show. And then they go into Los Endos, which, totally cool, but Los Endos obviously has, you know, it. It's the end, right? That's supposed to be at the end of the set. <laughs> so, so was it? Was that's, it? That's where Bill Bruford shakes his ass. <laughs> so, so, I mean, in terms of flow, was it was it strange to go from Los Endos into Fly on a Windshield? Or, I mean, how did that work for you guys? There was a a gap, uh, uh, um, and they put up, up a couple of slides with quotations from the band so there was a two or three minutes i'm going to say maybe gap so it didn't jump immediately from one to the other i think one of the things i thought with that act one was it was very instrumental in fact that the, the friend of mine that i went with said he was disappointed with that first act because it was so instrumental he loves uh, trick of the tail and he loves some of the songs and uh, loves wind and wuthering and really they focused on playing them without uh, anybody, you know, without the lyrics. They played the instrumental songs. So he was a bit disappointed with that, whereas uh, I kind of liked it. It was a bit of a, a mix, but there was def there was a definite uh, audio, audio, audible gap between that act and before they went into uh, the, the Lamb med uh, songs. Yeah, it was almost uh, the art in art rock. You, you had your fair share of interpretation there. And uh, Dennis Gagne actually started as an instrumentalist. Did you notice that? He was uh, in the back of the stage playing. Uh, oh, yes, I did. Not. Yes, he was. Yes, yes. Uh, I, I, I really enjoyed that. I didn't know what it was at first. But then seeing this, this, this odd extra musician transition to be the singer was really exciting <laughs> yeah yeah and that's a medley the, the medley in that quiet earth robbery assault and battery and their what gorilla is is not a medley i don't think genesis ever did it's gorgeous though is it? But, it, yeah. but it worked okay it absolutely yeah. worked yeah. yeah i i i think i can see where that would be kind of cool but like going I, I, I can trying to imagine my own response if I was there and they went from that into Blood on the Rooftops because I love Blood on the Rooftops. That would be fantastic. <laughs> oh my goodness! I, I think I think Steve Hackett would approve. It was it was really delicious. It was fantastic. Yeah, just starting with the uh, acoustic, it's really suspenseful. I thought. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. No, that that whole act one, what they called the wind's tail, all, all worked well for me. Dennis sings both Phil and and Peter. Does he approach them differently? Like, does he, or is or is he just sort of splitting the average, so to speak? I felt there was less of him trying to interpret the two in this show. Okay, he wasn't trying to be Phil. He wasn't trying to be Peter. He was just singing those songs perhaps slightly less so in the lamb songs because that's all peter anyway right mm -hmm. um but but i felt uh, he wasn't trying to be a character it, it's <laughs> it's just it's fascinating the 
the the tonal relationship between Phil and Pete in that, you know, they, it, it, I think I described it as a Venn diagram. There are fantastic areas of overlap, and yet they're each individual to each other. So I was just curious about that. No, I mean, imagine at the time when, you know, pre-internet, when you didn't find out about these things in advance, uh, or see or people's opinions, you've, you've got an album coming out that you know is not, Peter Gabriel anymore. You, you know by now that Phil Collins is a singer. How is that going to sound? Right. And it sounds really good. But then you, you you think back to a couple of the other albums. He had sung in the background. He'd sung some melody with Peter. He'd even had a couple of short solo pieces. So his singing had been, if you like, subliminally introduced <laughs> to you before you got, got to him as a solo singer. Ah. Mm-hmm. And and and, and, and uh, uh, back then, uh, Tony and Mike were lending some reasonably good falsetto and you know otherwise pleasant backing vocals. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Joe, keeping with your Rick Wakeman metaphor, I, I would say maybe the musical box have reached their uh, London Symphony Orchestra. You know, uh, 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 kind of, you know, they've mastered the catalog and they're taking liberties. Well, you know, and, and, and there's a certain amount of legitimacy to what they're doing if they have, you know, some sort of relationship with the members of Genesis. So, yeah, absolutely. I think that's cool. I, I, I've made, I, I forget if I made it on air or not, but I've, I've sort of, hatched the the blasphemous idea that all the the members of yes should just create a big like talent pool <laughs> and 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 everyone has access to the name and everyone can go out and they can mix and match in whatever combination they want. Whoever is up for it this year. Hey, I'd like to go. Well, sure. Come along. You're, you know, and, and, or franchise it out, whatever the case may be. So I'm, I'm a big fan of, of, you know, band franchises at this point. You're, you're, you're discounting the personalities. Of well, course, when you say that, like that. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a utopian Great ideal. Idea. <laughs> but I, but I like uh, it, you know. Rather than I like it too. Rather than everyone uh, fight about it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, again, Life's too short for that. J Jeff well, Downs, that begs the question: Have the members of Genesis played with the musical box? I believe Steve Hackett has sat in with them. Ah, oh, that would be fantastic. That I, be, I believe he has in the past. Don't know about anybody else. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, well, where, where are we at in the lineup here? So, so, so we're now uh, we're, thoroughly in Act Two. We're, We've we're got Fly in the Act Witch. Two. I'm, I'm a little disappointed. I've got to say that they they open with Fly on a Windshield and they don't do the Lamb, and and I, I say that from a, a very selfish perspective because the, with the way that I have now interpreted the Lamb, the the song "The Lamb Lies Down on Broadway" is now the absolute roadmap key entryway into the magic of it all and i absolutely get such a freaking rush out of that song um so it's it's kind of a bummer but flying a windshield is pretty burly so i can get behind that i guess you just made me think of something i have a very bad habit of listening to music on shuffle 
this was like listening to the lamb, the lamb on shuffle, <laughs> <laughs> because it wasn't in any order, and and I guess I was okay with that because that's I, I haven't listened to the lamb as it was meant to be for quite a long time. <laughs> so I was all right with this. Well, it, it's it's a fascinating just looking at the at the the, the set list here. So we got Fly on a Windshield, Broadway Melody of 1974, In the Cage. Back in New York City, Hairless Heart, Counting Out Time, The Carpet Crawlers, Lily White Lilith, and they finish with The Waiting Room? Of, of, <laughs> of all of the tracks on a double album that, you know, Ken, as you point out, is, is perhaps maybe even a bit too long to this day, they choose one of, in my opinion, the two weakest tracks possible to play and, and to end the set with it? How, yeah, that's... I was expecting them to end with it, you yeah. know, the last song. Right. Know, and, <laughs> and they didn't play it at all. I know. Well, it's, uh... Ken Fuller, you haven't heard my uh, comments on it, but that's kind of like the TV talk show outro. It's got <laughs> like, you know, like, oh, my God, come up to the stage. See what you've won. It's just amazing. <laughs> it is here. It is now. <laughs> First, handing out cards. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, this, with the exception of of the waiting room, I mean, this is really. I think they really did a a, a great job of sort of picking out the the more up or powerful moments. You know, um, mm -hmm. I think you know, back in New York City is 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 very wonderful. Hairless Heart is one of my favorites. Um, actually, that that sort of keyboard melody that comes in in the middle of that was one of my keys to, to getting that album. I have a love-hate relationship with Counting Out Time. How did that translate live? I mean, does, does the whimsy overwhelm it, or do, can you sort of take it seriously? I danced. I went into the, <laughs> the back lobby and got a water or whatever it was. And I, I, I well, actually, all right. So uh, the third lamb piece they did was, was in the cage. And I got to tell you, my bladder was in a cage. So I, <laughs> <laughs> so I got to use the facilities. And then there was back in NYC, Hairless Art. Yeah. And then, and then, um, uh, by the time they got to counting out time, I went back to the lobby just so I could dance. <laughs> it was fantastic. Yeah, C counting out time. They had some somewhat distracting visuals going on behind them. Uh, I thought, which were which kind of tried to spell out a bit more what the song was about, which isn't really necessary. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a little uh, frightened to think of what those might be. <laughs> Was it a family show? Or? <laughs> Up to that point, it was. <laughs> I mean, it, it wasn't quite the the flower in the wall, you know. Wasn't right. quite that level of reproduction. No. no. So, and then and then they go into the carpet crawlers. Ken, you and I, I, I believe, or Kenny G. I'm sorry. I, I believe you and I love the carpet crawler. I do. You. You. Yeah. You yeah, also. Yeah, that absolutely. was a, that was a key for you yeah. as well. Um, so I, I've got to ask, you know, in terms of, of the delivery here, I mean, did, were, were they able to create that sort of emotional lift that, that we discussed earlier? I mean, do these songs translate well for, for this group? I would say, I yeah. would say, um, 
not only do they have the energy and the emotion, but you know that visual production. You know, it wasn't just counting out time; it was pretty well dispersed over the whole set. So, it, it, even if it wasn't your song and it wasn't, you know, your favorite rendition of that particular song, you were still entirely entertained. Cool. Uh, yeah, yeah, they and, do a, a great job with the multimedia performance. And what yeah. about what about Lily White Lilith? That's a song that I have really sort of come to appreciate. Um, I didn't like it at first, but I, I do think it's sort of, you know, it, it provides an anchor point for for disc two, and uh, yeah, just, I mean, it's it's kind of raucous. Yes, and the way they did uh, the waiting room was also raucous. Really? So yeah, I mean, that was uh, a little bit of a freak out in a way. So it, uh, uh, the, the the two, I think surprisingly went quite well together that's great <laughs> which which i wouldn't have expected i mean if you'd have told me before the gig this is what they're going to do i'm going really well and, and but, that that's where i am because i'm reading this yeah. and i'm going what the hell yeah. but you guys yeah. are telling me that it was it was well done so kudos to the yeah. to the musical box i mean can i i think to your point you know these guys you know they 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 know this this material well enough and they're taking the right liberties it sounds like it's a choose-your-own-adventure book, <laughs> right? <laughs> you know, and we just happened to miss the Chamber of 32 Doors. Now, when I go through, I always choose the page that takes me to 32 Doors. Of course. <laughs> but, <laughs> I, I think it's necessary. That's my song. That's my baby. But, but for these guys, nah, maybe, you know, Lily White... It, it, it was it, it was a beautiful experience, and I like experiencing the lamb in a shorter version, even if it's not the perfect shorter version. Right. Yeah, I mean, this is it's pretty much the highlights here. You know, I I can't, with the exception of of the except lamb for itself, the lamb lies. Uh, yeah. Itself. Yes. I mean, I think I, I think I probably would have done. Um, you know, if I were doing it. Would, what the hell do I know? I would have started out with the lamb and I would have ended with um, the light dies down on Broadway. Cause I always think those two sort of bookend everything so wonderfully, but mm -hmm. I don't get paid. I mean, they Sorry. They certainly know the stuff because they did. They, I, I believe they've done world tours of reproducing the lamb. Right. And so th there's no doubt they know all of these, the, the fact that they've chosen to jumble them up here, um, shows a bit of dexterity i think on their part because they, they're thinking of a different way to present something that every everybody knows of this follows that and uh, i i enjoyed it well and i guess it probably keeps both them and the audience from becoming bored right so yeah mm -hmm. yeah now looking at the third act this is an interesting set of songs so again these guys they're 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 not afraid to do whatever they need to do at this point. Um, so uh, I made a Spotify playlist that tried to match this concert, and I think my playlist was thirty minutes longer than the concert because of all the medley and abbreviation that took place and interpretation. A place to call my own was literally. Um, 
30 seconds, right? Yeah, they, they did a verse. Oh, yeah, really? I think. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, ah. But this was a pleasure for me because these first five, a place to call my own, timetable, seven stones, can utility, looking for someone, first five. I'd never, I had never seen Genesis do those. Uh, they've rarely played. If I'm on shuffle, they don't pop up that often. Uh, yeah. Don't play those albums all the way back that often. Um, so it was great to hear those. And Can Utility and the Coastliners, and they introduced that as uh, a kind of unsung, forgotten track on Foxtrot. It's a track I've always loved. So it was great to hear that. I love that song. Knut lives large in our episode for that album. Yeah. Oh, I, yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And then and the others, you know, the others are quite quiet. Timetable and Seven Stones, yeah. uh, pastoral, I guess, and, and uh, uh, quite uh, different. Looking for someone was a bit longer. It seemed long, a long song to me at the time. I thought, well, oh, this seems to be going going on on a bit. And I, I actually, I, I, I'll admit, I kind of switched off a bit during during that. Thought, oh, okay, but then it was followed by Firth of Fifth. So how can you? Uh, you can't complain about that one. No. Probably the greatest song they ever wrote, in my opinion. Yeah, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna argue with you on that one necessarily. Although I'm, I'm partial to Duke, but yeah, Firth of Fifth oh, is well. is really exceptional. Yeah, Firth of Fifth before before I was deep into Genesis. I always knew and appreciated Genesis. Um, I wasn't as schooled on the, the early stuff, but, but Kenny G years ago had pointed me towards the first Steve Hackett Genesis revisited. And I don't remember if it was in my excitement or if Ken specifically pointed me to the live recording that they did. Um, I believe it's called the, the Tokyo tapes where John Wetton is mm -hmm. singing. Mm -hmm. And I love that version of Firth of Fifth on there. It just, it kills me. Absolutely love it. And so I was, you know, when we decided to do this and I started, you know, doing my, my prep work for Genesis, I was very, very excited to, uh, to get into to that specifically. And I have not been, I have not been disappointed in all, at all. I mean, you could say that that's one of the favorites. Um, they didn't do Lamb. They didn't do Supper's Ready. But they did Firth of Fifth. So they're, they're giving us what we want. They're just making us wait for it. But he did have an interesting comment when someone yelled, Supper's ready. <laughs> I think Den Dennis has been listening to cat calls for years. <laughs> I think he just said, Supper's ready? I don't think it is. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah. And they have done that in the past. And they, they've done it fantastically well uh, it, it would have made for a really long show if they'd done suppers ready on the end of this oh no kidding because it was a, it was a value for money is an understatement it was a great really uh, long show all great stuff now i have to confess uh for the fifth after the ordeal cinema show somewhere in there i i i left the theater uh uh my guest is a prog rock fan in, in far as knowing the entire Alan Parsons project, but he was pretty worn out by this interpretation of Genesis. <laughs> well, that's, I, I, I get that. And then uh, my friend I was with, uh, all those very early ones from Trespass, and uh, he said, I don't know any of this stuff. 
Mm-hmm. So I said, oh, well, I'm going to have to uh, educate you, Mike, on, on this. <laughs> but, yeah, he was he was definitely flagging at that point until we got to Firth of Fifth. Oh, okay. No, he's back up again. Yeah, that, that'll, that'll pick <laughs> yeah. you up, no doubt about it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, and, and it's – I guess it's – it's interesting, right? If if you are if you are the musical box and you have made your career, you know, recreating, you know, classic Genesis, you have presumably a certain follow. I mean, people who who are likely to come to your show for the most part, at least half of them, because everyone brings a friend, but but half the people who are are ponying up are there because they want to get this deep into the into the, the track list, right? But this is not a set for the faint of heart. I mean, you know, this 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 is not the the casual. Gosh, I think Invisible Touch is great. I'm going to go see the musical box. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. You you have to be. I, I think in order to to make it through this and really really enjoy it, you have got to be dedicated. To, to what you're in for here. And, uh, you know, especially, <laughs> I mean, I love the cinema show, but I, I could see if I was not familiar with Genesis and I'd been sitting here for, I mean, how long was this show? Ooh, two and a half, two hours, 40. Yeah, like so that. so you're, you're here good. for, you know, over two hours at this point <laughs> and they break into the cinema show and you're just going, what? What <laughs> I I would think it was great, but I can see how other people might not might not think that. And, right, and, and I find Isle of Plenty to be a very again a fascinating way to end a set. I, I don't know that I would have picked that myself, but you know, it, well, it, of course, it follows on from that song, and it just kind of fades slowly, fades away, which is not how you would normally end a gig, right? Yeah. Uh, and, and yeah, it was. So, so the, and it has some really weird uh, words in it. I mean, you 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 have to be English to understand that that song. I think Isle of Plenty, because it talks about uh, uh, <laughs> how is fine... that different from the Battle of Epping Forest? <laughs> oh well, I, well, that wasn't on the set list. We could talk about that another time, maybe. But, uh, but yeah, maybe, uh, maybe yeah, it Ken talks about fine fair and Tesco the, uh, the Battle of Epping and, Forest. For uh, us. Uh, uh, yeah, because it says Tesco operates and thank. Thankful for her fine fare discount, Tesco operates. Well, fine fare was a supermarket. Tesco is a supermarket. Uh, uh, and, and there's all sorts of very English references in there that sometimes I look around and say, what if people, this has passed people by? The answer is but- yes. Yes, it does. <laughs> <laughs> we, we have absolutely no clue. <laughs> oh, oh, so maybe I should be using the Isle of Plenty as a metaphor for something. Uh, uh, that sounds like uh, I, I think I know where this is going. Okay, right. you yeah. know you also have the reference Knights of the Green Shield Stamp and Shout, or Green Shield Stamps were things you got when you bought food in supermarkets. You stuck them in a book, and eventually you could get money for all these stamps you'd collected uh, and use them for goods in supermarkets. So there's all sorts of stuff like that in in these early songs uh, that make them. <laughs> perhaps a bit more diff- difficult to interpret uh, if you're not English. You know, one of the things I wanted to mention that they always would do when they did a show that followed a, a specific gig, he would also do the stories. Now, yeah. they didn't do any of the stories 
in, in this particular one. So there's the, the, the story leading up to the cinema show, and they didn't do that uh, this time, uh, and a couple of the others. Um, and they would even, when they do a show uh, that's following a gig, they all even pretend to be tuning up while the Peter character is doing the story, which is why he did the stories, because they had to keep the Mellotron in tune and the different 12 strings in tune. That's why he did them, because there were long gaps between songs. Well, they would reproduce that as well. They, this, this time, no, it was just the music and no worse for that. That is absolutely amazing that they, you know, went to those lengths. I absolutely love it. And then, mm -hmm. you know, they, they come back for their encore of their eponymous song. So, I mean, uh, that seems appropriate, right? Yes. Musical box. Yeah, that's their, their number. Yeah, absolutely. And <laughs> it's great. I love it. It's a great way uh, to finish. I'm, I, I regret missing that. <laughs> well, I regret living in Texas where apparently they don't come because there's not a really big prog population down here. <laughs> 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 I'm actually I'm I'm very pleased that the the royal tour is coming here. So at least I have the opportunity to see that. And as Ken Kenny G and I discovered uh, over the weekend, John Anderson is is coming here as well. Although I will not be seeing him, but that's okay. I've hmm. I've already seen. Oh, him. you yeah yeah yeah. Ken Fuller, you've got a treat coming to you. Yeah, I'm seeing John Anderson on Monday oh. coming up next week. Yeah, I think uh, I definitely think you're going to enjoy that. It was it was a very very entertaining show. Excellent, good. Looking forward to it. Cool. So um, I you know I think this we pretty much worked through uh, the whole set. Um, we've discussed you know a lot of your thoughts. Do you guys have any sort of you know remarks to sort of bring it all together in regards to what you saw, how you feel about it, you know? I would always be happy to go and see them. I think they do an excellent job of, of reproducing stuff that I think I remember. Or at least I have the, uh, the live <laughs> CDs if, to check back if I want to. Um, it it, it, it sounds, still sounds great to me. Uh, maybe it brings back my youth, who the heck knows. But, I mean, they're, they're a great band. They do an excellent job. Next time they come around, if they're playing at the Keswick, I'm, I'm sure I'll be there. Cool. Uh, they gave me some transformation. Dance on a Volcano was chaotic, but seeing it in their lens was just beautiful and smooth. I didn't experience any of the upheaval that that track sometimes gives me. I feel like they kind of like sanded off the edges. <laughs> really? I don't know. I, I, I objected to the Samba whistle. Do you recall that? Oh, I do recall <laughs> that. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right, but I'm over my hangups now, and I, I've just really come to love Dance on a Volcano. Um, I, I, I always loved um, uh, Can Utility and the Coastliners, and that just absolutely blew me away, uh, particularly the bass line in that one. Uh, so hats off to that guy. And uh, uh, just the way they brought me around to the lamb, uh, Lily White, used to make me hit fast forward, but I just really? loved what they were doing with it. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. like I said, I, I, I feel the same way. I, it's, it's definitely grown on me. Well, that's, that's very cool. I'm going to keep my eyes open and cross my fingers that, you know, maybe at some point they'll, they'll wind up here in the, the great state of Texas and I will be able to experience them for myself. And barring that, I guess I'll have to make a trip North as I'm 
won't to do to see uh <laughs> you know it's it's ridiculous how much money i spend on these concerts <laughs> i mean by the time you buy the ticket and then you 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 fly up there but you know it's all cool um it, it's fantastic so i will definitely keep uh, keep a lookout since we don't have the ability to see genesis proper these days this is the way that we can we can get our fix so that's awesome yep, that's right well, gentlemen, thank you so much for, for sharing your thoughts on uh, on this show with both me as well as our listeners. Ken Fuller, thank you so much for, for joining the Palaver tonight. This has been wonderful. Yeah. So, uh, and it's been, it's been an absolute pleasure for me to uh, talk about this and old Genesis stuff. Yeah, Thanks absolutely. very much. Well, good. Well, thank you guys so much. And uh, that, will, that will put a pin in this special concert series episode of Progressive Palaver. So, again, thank you, gentlemen. Cheers. Good night. We hope you've enjoyed the conversation here on The Musical Box tonight. We've certainly enjoyed sharing it with you as always and our new, uh, well, our friend of Palaver, Ken Fuller. Um, as always, we welcome and solicit your thoughts, your feedback, your comments. You can reach us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. We are at ProgPala on all of those, or search for Progressive Palaver. You're welcome to email us. Our email address is progpala at gmail.com. Progressive Palaver is, as always, available for subscription and download on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. And we are hosted on SoundCloud. So until next time, thanks for listening. <laughs>